It's late at night. You're on your way home and get pulled over by the police. They ask you to step out of the car and take field sobriety tests. What do you do? Hi, I'm attorney Paul Whalen from Afford Law. At Afford Law, we practice criminal and family law throughout Massachusetts. Our fees are all based on a sliding scale, which is based on your income. What that means is the less you make, the less you pay. So let's talk today about field sobriety tests. Uh, in particular, they are, there are three tests that are given called the standardized field sobriety tests. They are the horizontal gaze nystagmus test, the HGN, which we talked about already, the nine-step walk and turn, which we've also spoken about. Today, we're going to talk about the one-leg raise. So let's just back up for a second and talk about field sobriety tests in general. So field sobriety tests are physical coordination tests as well as divided attention tests. And what that means is divided attention, they're asking you to do more than one thing at one time. So they, they're trying to split your attention between perhaps answering their questions and performing some sort of task. This is, be, this is not just with the field sobriety tests, but during the stop itself. So they will engage you in conversation and ask for you to get your license and registration. And they want to try to keep you talking and see if you can uh, uh, have a, hold a conversation while pre presenting them with your license and registration. Specifically for field sobriety tests, um, there are uh, physical coordination tests that go along with it. So um, one of the three standardized field sobriety tests is the one leg raise. Uh, if given correctly, if administered correctly, there, is some, uh, there are some uh, tests that show that this has a 65% chance of uh, accurately determining if you have a blood alcohol level over 0.10, which is the, uh, uh, you know, above the legal limit. Um, so that's if everything goes, uh, goes according to plan. So um, that combined with the other two field sobriety, sobriety tests uh, give, gives the officer a, a very high uh, percentage of determining whether you are under the influence or not. And again, that's under perfect circumstances if, the, uh, if you don't have any other conditions and if the tests are administered accurately. So the one step, I'm sorry, the one leg raise uh, is basically, uh, there are a number of steps to it. So uh, before the, the test actually gets uh, started, there is the instruction phase. And during this phase, the officer is making uh, observations of you to see if you can follow directions and to see if you're able to um, stand and uh, coordinate yourself and balance yourself. So what happens is they instruct you to Put your feet together, your heels together, your hands by your side, uh, and listen to the instruction. And they will tell you, do not start the test before I tell you to start the test. Um, so they want to see that you can follow instructions. And if, if, for instance, you start the test too soon before you're instructed to do so, that's going to go down in the police report as a clue that, you're, uh, that you are intoxicated. Once the test begins, uh, they're going to be looking at certain things as far as your uh, balance and your coordination. So the test is this. You have to raise one foot either way, either one, the right foot or the left foot, approximately six inches off the ground. You're instructed to look down at your foot uh, during the uh, pendency of the, of the test. And you're told to count out loud uh, by 1,000. So 1,001, 1,002, 1,003, you get it. Um, and then looking to see if you can hold your foot up in the air, looking down with the hands by your side, 
without swaying for approximately 30 seconds. So the, an interesting thing is that many people can get to 25 seconds, but to get from that extra five seconds from 25 to 30, a lot of people drop off of that. So um, for some reason, we can do 25 seconds fairly well, uh, but 20 uh, seconds, 25 to 30 is when people have uh, trouble, be it intoxicated or not. So as I said before, um, there, the accuracy is 65%, but that's only uh, if everything is going according to plan. There are a number of uh, there are a number of conditions that could happen uh, that basically negate the test. So if you have uh, certain medical conditions, if you have uh, um, vertigo, uh, if you have a, a head injury, if you have some sort of um, eye problem, if you um, have had uh, trouble with your back, trouble with your knees, if you had recent surgery, there's a whole host of medical conditions that um, could be present that would prevent you from from successfully completing the uh, one leg raise, uh, and that would give the officer um, a false impression of your uh, level of sobriety. So, one of the things they will ask you is, "Do you have any medical conditions?" Um, that's the the reason why they ask that is that they they need to note that uh, for the record because if you do have those conditions, if you do poorly on the test, um, that could be explained away uh, by that by that medical condition. So um, the, in the instruction phase, they're looking to see that your hands are by your side, that you're not late raising your arms for balance, um, that you're not starting the test too soon, as I said, um, and that you are able to follow instructions. You're not swaying from side to side or back and forth. So they're looking for you to complete the test, and they're looking for essentially four clues that will give them uh, a reason to believe that you are intoxicated. So those things include um, that you're you're raising your arms for balance. This is during the test itself. Um, that you are unable to keep your foot up in the air for 30 seconds, so you put your foot down. If you're hopping in place uh, in order to maintain your balance, and if you're swaying from side to side or back and forth, as I say, during the test. So those are the four things that, uh, in particular, that they're looking for during the test. Four clues, um, and any of those clues. Uh, if you have any of those clues, they will certainly be recorded in the police report uh, and they will be brought up at time of trial if you take your case to trial. So um, one other thing I wanted to let you know about field sobriety tests, again, is that you do not have to take the tests. You can refuse to take the test because that is part of your Fifth Amendment privilege against self-incrimination. You have the right to remain silent. And the right to remain silent doesn't just mean you have the right to not speak, you have the right not to participate in the field sobriety tests themselves. In fact, just to back it up one step from that, you also have the right not to speak. You don't have to even talk to the police officer during the stop. So he or she's going to try, you try to engage you in conversation, ask questions such as where are you coming from, where are you going to, have you had anything to drink tonight, how much did you have to drink tonight, um, a whole host of things that they're trying to get you to incriminate yourself uh, at the at the roadside stop because any indication of intoxication will go in the police report. If you read a number of these police reports, I can tell you that there's almost the same thing is in almost every police report. Uh, it's basically a boilerplate. You've had you had you know slurred speech. You have bloodshot and glassy eyes. You have a thick tongue so that you're you're not able to speak too clearly and so forth. These are all uh, indications of intoxication, of course, uh, but they can also be explained for other reasons. But I just want to point out that 
they're looking for every little piece of information, piece of evidence that they can use against you. So if you don't speak to them, they can't get a sense of, of how you're speaking. They won't be able to smell alcohol on your breath. That, that won't be included in the, in the police report because you're not giving them that information. So the right to remain silent applies to roadside stops and field sobriety tests. So if you, do, if you refuse to take the field sobriety tests, that cannot be used against you if your case goes to trial. So keep that in mind. So as I say, at Afford Law, we do practice criminal law and family law in Massachusetts. Our fees are based on your income, so the less you make, the less you have to pay. We're trying to make ourselves as affordable as possible for the hardworking people of Massachusetts. Feel free to visit us at affordlaw.org and feel free to book a free virtual appointment with me. I would be happy to answer any questions you have about any criminal or family law matter in Massachusetts. Because at Afford Law, we're making justice affordable. Thank you.